listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. Hi, Jeff. So as part of our multi-episode multi series on growth, we're going to do a sub-series, maybe a sub-drama <laughs> mini-series, <laughs> three episodes with PBS. Anyway, we're going to do a sub-series on, on organic growth. We're going to just kind of talk about all the different levers of organic growth and where to start. So anyway, today, what we decided to talk about was base retention, just this idea that if you're going to grow a firm, you got to start with a baseline, right? You have to start by, you know, I call it solidifying the base. I never forget when I was in business school, and I'm diatribing before you even started, but when I was in business school, one of my faculty members always like to call it the leaky bucket. You know, you got this leaky bucket and you, as a marketer, you you can't just pour water in the top of the bucket because it's leaking out the bottom. So you, <laughs> you got to reduce the size of the leak and, and then start pouring water in the top. That's where we're going to start. You know what was great about that opening? I talk too much. <laughs> if you and I ever go our separate ways and your big brain starts its own podcast, you already have two perfect names for your new podcast, Leaky Bucket or <laughs> Diatribe. <laughs> Diatribe. Is that, did I even use the word diatribe correctly? Looking back, I don't even know. <laughs> oh, that's classic. I'm writing those down for future reference. Speaking of which, I'm going on a sidebar here. I know I shouldn't. Sidebars are outlawed. Tim Reason, Bane, go. Our listeners who listen to every episode, and I'd say that's 99% of them, I'm sure, will recall several comments that one of the two of us made about Big Ten football happening or not happening this fall. One of us kind of gloated about being right, and it wasn't me, but our listeners know who ultimately was right around that prediction. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say who. I'm not going to say what. But if you want to know, you have to go back and listen to some of those other episodes. So let's move on to base retention, Leaky Bucket. Leaky bucket. Is that, is leaky bucket a, uh, I mean, is that a broadly used metaphor or is that one that's, you know, pulled from the bowels of a personal experience? No, I think that works. Well, you know, I'm a farm boy, so it works for me. All right. So in setting this up, I actually thought you were really articulate for once in terms of <laughs> this notion of churn, the idea that you have a client churn inside of your firm or your business, and you have to understand that first. But I thought you also were really, really articulate in saying how there's a relationship between the business model you have and what churn looks like. So I just thought we'd start there. I'd like for you to kind of talk a little bit about what you meant by that, because I thought it was really, really strong. Good thinking. Well, your metaphor for a leaky bucket is an excellent one. And Everybody gets it. It's really hard to get the job done if you keep filling up a bucket, but it's running out at the bottom. And whether you're selling services or selling software as a service or you're selling widgets, if you start out a fiscal year at zero or at something less than 100% from the year before, it makes getting to the next year's number really hard. And I think most organizations kind of understand that concept, but may not fully understand, you know, some of the best ways of fixing it. And often I think there's two drivers of churn. You know, the first one 
is business model? And this is particularly true of professional services. You know, are you offering a project based solution or, you know, an annuity based solution? If your project and your projects run less than 12 months, you're going to be starting from a larger deficit. The second is client satisfaction and retention. You know, are clients leaving because they're not happy with your service or haven't adopted the service in the case of software companies? are like, oh, yeah, that was a great idea. Bought a subscription and never really fully adopted it within the organization and are kind of moving on. So understanding the business model and to what degree that's driving that effort is really important. And I think most people know that, but I don't know when they're doing their planning that they think as thoroughly about how they might alter that model to engineer out, climbing out of that hole every year. Yeah, I'm thinking through in my head. It's interesting in that this is a kind of a random comment, but some of the really large AE firms are publicly traded. So if you look up like, I think, Stantec maybe or AECOM, I can't remember, the, but the really, really large ones, you know, are publicly traded stock. And so you can look at their financial reports. And what's really fascinating is I remember I looked at one once and I can't remember which firm it was, but in the revenue and profitability analysis for the firm, they described very specific projects, a project that was running over its cost controls and basically hampering the firm's financial performance because they work on such a large global mega projects, right? And so it's almost like on one extreme, you have firms like that where you're working on such large projects that they literally drop onto an income statement of a publicly traded company as a, as a negative occurrence or a positive one, perhaps. So you're replacing that year in, year out, I suppose. And that's probably the churn model for that, as you point out, is really, really different than, you know, a more of an annuity-based service, maybe a, a small accounting firm that provides tax and advisory services. And it's got a, you know, a wide base of clients that are buying twenty, thirty thousand dollar tax engagements year in, year out. The churn rate on that is really low, except for client service issues, right? So I guess maybe it's a continuum from one end to the other and firms exist somewhere in that continuum and you just have to start by figuring that out. And maybe you have to look at, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you have to look at it by a practice level too. If you've got a larger diversified firm, you know, there's practices that probably have higher retention rates because of the structure of the service. And there's ones that have lower based on whatever it is that they deliver. Are there targets for this? I mean, in your experience and the firms you've worked in, did you have retention rate targets that you've... I have random numbers I've selected from talking to clients, but I'm just curious on your side, did you see like a retention number? And how would you even measure that? Is it a revenue number or, or what is it? Every firm really looked at this differently. Is that a single number benchmark that we can use that you've... you've <laughs> we know how much you love benchmarks. <laughs> you have one, right? Well, every firm thinks about it differently. You know, some look at years, you know, that a client has been there for particular service or you kind of take pride in that. You don't want to be the partner that loses that. You know, sometimes it looks at, at revenue, of course, but most firms operate under the assumption that they're going to lose some amount of base, either through, you know, the acquisition of a client by another client or non-client or, you know, natural turnover if there's you know, some kind of cycle for doing a public audit or somebody goes out of business, whatever the case may be. And they assume that's coming from somewhere. Oftentimes they have no idea where, which I think is 
not a good approach to understanding your client base. So they always feel like, well, we have to get new business elsewhere to replace what's there because they assume it's it's going to be lost even if they don't know where it's coming from. But every firm is different in that regard. Yeah. So really, I guess there's no number. It's more just you have to understand your retention model, how much of your revenue is inherent and your business model is going to need to be replaced each year in order to get growth. So if you're, you know, if, if year over year, you have enough project work that you're going to you know, have to replace 30% of your revenue to be stable, then you have to grow 40 or 50% in revenue to grow, right? So Jason, I like the way you articulate it. I think it's a great point. I think top firms look at that number and that churn and they make it a priority to reduce it. And the urgency in reducing it, I think is driven by by two things. One is culture, right? We want to keep these clients, we want to be known for great service. We don't want people leaving, you know, because they're, they're not happy with us. Interesting you bring up culture in the sense that I imagine in some firms, there are two competing pieces in culture. On the one side, you have the desire to serve the client and be client-centric, if you will, which encourages high levels of retention, right? That's a better business model inherently. It has a lower churn, makes it easier to grow. On the flip of that, there's sort of like this desire to do great things, great work, great projects. And I'll use the classic example. It's sort of like a fountainhead type example of the the legendary architect, the IM pays of the world that you know, signature skills, signature designs that clients only hire once in a lifetime if they're ever lucky. And there's probably this kind of internal drive within you know, the talent within the firm to be the absolute best at something. And when you're the absolute best at something, often that inherently means that you're only brought in to do that one thing and then you're never brought in again and you never see the client again. So it seems to me there's a tension there that, that firms, a lot of firms might face in terms of the desire to be the best in the world at a very narrow discipline or a piece of that discipline versus the inherent need of the firm to lower churn, to have a healthier business model and to grow. Am I crazy? No, I think you are an idealist. (laughs) (laughs) And a Randian idealist at that. Ideally, yes. I I think you get, you know, you create a a brand that is stratospheric in in that regard. But the reality is there are economic booms and busts. And the amount of churn you're willing to accept in a boom is not going to be the same as the amount of churn you're willing to accept in a bust. But the best firms are always looking at churn and most importantly, understanding it and managing it because a certain amount of churn is healthy. And, you know, if you're retaining all your clients, I question whether or not that makes sense. And one of the the important things I think we should talk about in terms of base retention is what part of the base do you actually want to retain? And top firms look at the client makeup And they understand why each one of those clients are in the portfolio. And the first place to start is profitability. Every firm that I've been in that has had the sophistication to actually quantify profitability on a a client by client basis 
produces, I mean, just incredible insights on where the revenue is coming from, more importantly, where the profit is coming from. And they're making strategic decisions about which clients to keep, which ones to get rid of, how to allocate resources within the firm to that client base. Most firms are not thinking that way. They kind of do it on an anecdotal or on intuitive basis. But I've, I've sat in leadership meetings and gone through client profitability list and we see brand names on these lists pop up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're losing that amount of money on that client. Or I can't believe we're making that much money on that client. It really builds a deep understanding of the client base. And that just has so many tentacles into other areas of of the firm and learning that can be applied to, to growth. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. So talk to me a second about the relationship between profitability and client happiness, like meaning that like, you know, you talked a little bit in setting this up about this idea that your referral strength is a function of, of your base retention, meaning that if, if you're retaining clients, you're likely to have higher referral strength. Is there a relationship between profitability and client happiness as well? Hmm. That's a great question. Yes and no. There are clients, and I would put myself into this group as the buyer of professional services as a a CMO, I am willing and happy to pay a premium for, you know, incredible results and expertise and service. When you're writing checks and you're working with a partner that is helping you advance, you know, your agenda, you're always happy to write those checks. I should say, you're normally very happy to write write those checks. When you're being charged a premium and you're not getting what you expect, you're not happy writing those checks. You know, the best firms, you know, when they do client sat, they normally have an indicator on there for value for fees and look at it very closely because that's kind of a measure of that area, right? I'm happy to to pay you this amount. I'm getting value. It doesn't say what the numerator and denominator are, but there is a sense that what I'm putting in is giving me more or I'm getting more out than I'm putting in. So, yeah, I think so. And you you mentioned something and, you know, this kind of segues into a subsequent shows we're going to talk about. If you're not retaining your base and your base is not being retained because it's happy, and by that I mean the only reason it's sticking around is because you're either the cheapest or the switching cost is too high and the pain of a bad service hasn't reached a level where I want to go through that pain to change, but that you actually have a happy 
base of clients is critical to, you know, other growth areas. I've been in firms where the product or the solution, and I have clients that are this way, where they're blaming their lack of growth on ineffective marketing when the fact of the matter is the the product or solution is so weak that marketing has has to overcome such a negative perception just to start a conversation about purchase. And if you have a base like that, it's not doing anybody any good. And either the product needs to be fixed or you need to get rid of those clients and find the clients whose expectations align with your level of service or your level of product functionality and, and quality. But most firms just treat that base as, you know, kind of monolithic in its relationship to the services that it's it's rendering and their satisfaction with it and what they're telling friends. Because in any complex B2B sale, particularly professional services, referral is going to be at the very top. Executives call other executives and say, what do you think about this or this person? And if they're not giving glowing commentary, you're not going to get the business. Yeah, no, that's an interesting one. And, and I'll, we'll come back to that another day sometime, just referrals in general. Well, I think the, the interesting point about everything you just said to me is that there is a relationship between the clients you attract and the retention of the, those clients and, and the, or the retention of the, of the revenue, if you will. Meaning that if you're attracting the wrong clients, then retaining them is going to be harder. And so that, that whole notion of a profitability analysis seems really, really valuable in the sense of drilling down to these are the, the right clients that we really want to attract. Now let's make sure that marketing is aligned to deliver those. And then if that's happening, then our retention rates are logically going to go up because we work from a place of data. It's interesting because, you know, we've, and this might be a topic we'll come back to later one day is you and I have both kind of criticized the validity and value of personas and, and why would you ever want them? And I was doing some research for a client of ours on pricing. So looking to price a SaaS product. And I was reading a, a really well put together ebook on pricing from a, a specialist firm that, that really just works in pricing in the SaaS space. And they had, in their model, they had used personas, but they had used them differently than I had seen them before. And in this case, the personas weren't these marketing generated, fluffy, visual and metaphorical references of, of individual clients. They were, they were really hard data-driven analyses of specific clients in the software company's portfolio and the nature of why they were buying the software and the relationship that that brought in terms of the value of the software to their company and the price and all these types of things. And so there were kind of a different way of looking at it, almost like you can imagine uh, extracting personas from a massive data set versus extracting personas from the minds of a couple of partners and some creative collaborative sessions, which is how I think they normally tend to happen. But it, it just got me thinking like, you know, that type of thing might have some more validity to it than we used to give it credit. So let's move to wrap here. I think we're, we're kind of running out of time, but let's kind of touch on one last thing before we go. Because, you know, you, you mentioned in, in the setup that, you know, building key account management programs are a critical piece of reducing churn and increasing retention. So let's talk about that for a few minutes before we call it a day. The best jump off point for that, in my mind, is what you just said. If you're going to focus on retaining your base. You need to, just like building a house or a skyscraper, right? That foundation has to be as strong as possible because of the profitability and annuity, you know, of retaining base, reducing 
you know, cost of sale of creating a referral flywheel, if you will, you really need to understand who your ideal client is. And the ideal client is, and we've talked about this on podcasts, I've written about it. I'll put links in the show notes. And as you said, it's very different than personas. I am not a fan of personas at all. But by finding your ideal client, and it's a lot easier than you think, you find the clients that value the value that you provide. That's the ultimate goal. Identify those clients who value the value you provide. So you need to understand what exactly the value is you're providing. And we talked about this in value propositions that most people don't and find those that are willing to pay a premium for that. Look at your base and make sure you're focused on those. Then, you know, the key account management is really about strengthening the ties to your firm. And sometimes that comes through relationship, but not always. It mostly comes from results, but there are also other ways to tie clients in, but it always has to come back to value. And if you're wasting energy serving clients that don't value you, that means because to some degree, it's a zero sum game. If you have limited resources, those that really could be benefiting and appreciating the value provide are not getting the fullest extent of, of what you offer. So key account management should focus on that. And we could do a whole series on key account management for sure. But the key account management, in addition to retaining the base, really puts you in the position for the next avenue for growth. And that's selling more of what you offer to, to existing clients. Yeah. And that's going to be the next, the next episode in the series. And, I, and I'm going to suggest we flip it around. Actually, the more I think about it, it's not necessarily about selling more to existing clients. It's about encouraging clients to buy more, right? So building to your point, that notion of key account management, building a way for them to want to buy more because they're getting more value and they're finding other ways to get new value from you. And so maybe we were thinking about it backwards, but either way, that's the topic that we'll yeah. tackle next time. And you, you raise a good point there that kind of ties it all back to the way we started, right? And, you know, your business model to a large degree impacts, you know, kind of the, the starting point for level of churn. So, I mean, that's the playing field. And, you know, if you're a SaaS company, you have a certain playing field. If you're a project-based services firm, you have a certain playing field. If you're an annuity, you have a certain playing field. But I have clients where the majority of their new business comes through channel partners. And channel partners create a totally different business model structure for churn and its own challenges because so many of those channel partners have high turnover in their their salespeople, you know, moving around. And just when you think you have a great end, somebody leaves and you got to rebuild. So understanding the business model and the ideal client that that appreciates the value that you offer and constantly understanding 
what's causing the churn and how to reduce that is the only way to deal with the leaky bucket, as you said, in your diatribe. Yeah, plug the leaky bucket. Yeah, there, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, now that we've plugged the leaky bucket, next time we'll talk about how to grow grow the bucket, maybe, or, or add water to the bucket. Not sure which, but one or the other. Get more buckets. Yeah, get more buckets. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. See you, buddy. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. 